0: I wonder, if I'm, I wonder if Scott's going to leave that bit in. But if he does, then you've already heard me kind of talking about this week's installation of Which Car Weekly, which is number 65. And my name is Daniel Gardner. I'm going to do all the bits which I normally do really quickly because it's boring. Joined by Scott New and Associate Editor of Motor Magazine and Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine, Andy Enright. There you go. That was good, wasn't
1: it? speedy! That was the
0: Express version. I'm going to do that way every week. I think that yeah. was way better. Um, yes. Thank you for joining us again to talk about all things cars, um, it is the, uh, it's the founder members, I'm very pleased to say, back again for another installation. Um, uh, this week, we're going to kick off with uh, something that has been in the news, but we're going to give it, as we like, to our own inimitable edge. Um, Scott, this is about a
1: car, I don't know whether anyone's heard of it, a BMW M3? A nice young, young up and coming maker uh, called Bavarian you know, Motor Works, I can't remember the German Version of that Bayern.
0: The Motor Worker.
1: Yeah, that one. Spoken um, like a true ex employee. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a tattooed on him somewhere. Um,
2: I'll show yeah. you later.
1: BMW uh, G80, M3, I believe, will be the model code. So we've had E30, E36, E46, uh, E90, E90. F30, F30? F30, and now F80. F30? F30? Yeah. Yes
2: yes F80, anyway G80.
1: uh yeah so the it is coming out in a couple of weeks officially but as is the case these days there has been a protracted teaser and some prototype campaign uh so in a couple of weeks we'll uh about, actually it's probably about a month's time we'll cover off the you know all the official details but bmw has told us plenty already including the catalyst for this conversation is this week they confirmed that they will be doing an M3 touring, a.k.a. estate for the first time. Oh, lovely. And we're lovely. quite fond of a fast wagon on which Car Weekly. We absolutely are, for all yes. the right reasons. But I do like that um, essentially BMW's press release about this, so it's a couple of years away, they've say basically said prototypes are about to start running around and presumably to save their executives two years of infernal questions about why is there a wide arched, noisy wagon <laughs> running around the Nürburgring, they've got out on the front foot. Um, and they've, But they've said that essentially a mid-sized premium class wagon has never existed before, which must be quite some shocking news to Audi and Mercedes who have built these things for the last two decades.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, quite, yeah. quite. Did quite yeah, we, we've, did, yep. we've called for an M3 wagon for years, haven't we? We've, we've been hankering after one of these. And, uh, didn't BMW build a prototype back in the day? So E46, they made one as kind of a production
1: feasibility, I think, cause, which is kind of weird, doubly weird because they didn't do a four-door M3. They didn't have a sedan to base it off. Um, but they did a wagon version, I think, to see if they could, you know, fit the rear doors and stuff around the white arches, um, whether they could or not, in terms of making it profitable, presumably not, otherwise they would have made one. Um, but yeah, so now they have decided, even though everybody's up buying SUVs, that they're gonna build a wagon, which is quite exciting.
0: And that's the staggering yeah. thing, isn't it?
1: So one has to ask the question, why?
0: I mean, as you say, Scott, of all the times when people really are flocking away from wagons, particularly in Australia, mm. um, why would they do that? This particular model now. And uh, while we're on the subject, uh, BMW has confirmed the wagon version will be coming to Australia as well. So they'll sell four of them here.
1: Yes, that's right.
2: Why um,
0: are they doing this? I don't well, know. it's taken them 25
2: oh. years to get round to it, isn't it? Um, so. They they ought to have had some time to consider their uh, their verdict on this car by now. I think.
0: Yeah, and all those years they were considering when it was a good time to actually be selling it, they finally decided to do it when it's finally a bad time to do it. So it makes absolutely
1: no sense. Especially there's, uh, there's a
2: whole generation of them that have been cobbled up in people's garages down the years, though, aren't yes. there? There must be must be hundreds of M3 wagons on the road.
1: Yeah, I think there are M3 wagons of every generation, but they've been put together by you know. Carl and Heights in their spare time in their in their workshops so um <laughs> but it is also weird that it's still two years away like
0: yeah when even fewer people will be buying wagons
1: <laughs> not not to start on a down a mo- down a note because it's very exciting that they're going to do this but come late 2022 I would have thought that the market for 500 horsepower petrol burning station wagons would be uh, ever, even slimmer than <laughs> than it is now
0: well I think we can probably answer one of the reasons, there's probably multiple that we may or may not ever actually hear from BMW. Um, The most obvious one obviously is, as you've already touched on Scott, it's because their two main rivals, Mercedes and Audi make an equivalent, Mm -hmm. which BMW in typical style has chosen to completely ignore and and not even acknowledge that they do. Um, But obviously we've had the RS4, um, we've had the C63 wagon for years and years, and now BMW wants in on the action. So is it just this typical, typical rivalry where even if it means they'll steal just one or two customers off their rivals they'll do it
2: i'm not sure I, th- I just like the fact that uh there's a sort of a dementedness to their product planning that's come about under our marcus flash and i really like that he's bringing out some really extreme um cars that people love and that, uh, what, I, I, that, I, that was my remember.
1: question to you andy is that um you, i mean you've spoken with marcus and met him um Do you think this is kind of part of his idea? Like he seems to be a bit of an old school petrol head in that he likes, you know, he's definitely an M guy. So is it one of those vanity projects that he just wants a M3 wagon, so they're going to make one?
2: I think he does have a fairly large ego, but he is, if, if you're talking car enthusiasts, he's one of us. He just wants to get out and beat around in a car and he goes with his gut to a certain extent. If there's a car that he thinks i want that car you know it's going to be a great fit for bmw he'll get it done um, mm. and you know there've been people who've been able to make a success of working like that and others who maybe weren't so well informed about there's um well. there's
0: an argument that that goes something along the lines of not many people will want to buy one but that doesn't stop it adding value to the whole brand as a as a general view so most people would, would look at a, an M3 wagon and and a, anyone with even half a car gene in their body will say, it's super cool. Most of those people, I dare say, even if they had the cash might not jump in and buy one, but that doesn't stop a lot of people who like cars saying, yeah, BMW, awesome brand because it made the M3 wagon. Hmm. And I think that knock on effect and that, that sort of, um, that uh, premium effect on the brand and saying, clearly these people are car people even if i'm probably going to buy an suv with with the same engine in it Mm -hmm. i think it has has a really beneficial effect on the brand
2: yeah yeah he's got he's got to be a custodian of the brand and the brand can't all be about x3ms x4ms even though they'll account for most of the sales so you know offering us a manual 375 kilowatt wagon with rear wheel drive that's pretty much core m also. And will it be will it be a manual? They're doing a manual. That's well,
1: that's hard. a that's I was going to ask that because, so, I, I don't, I'm I'm going to disagree with Andy here. I reckon it will be automatic and all-wheel drive only. Um, but maybe not. So so initially, again, weirdly, BMW has sort of confirmed specs before they've even released the car. So there's going to be a, like just like in the, X3 M and X4 M, there's a base sort of. A base level inverted commas, which is three fifty 350 kilowatt, three fifty three kilowatts, six fifty newton meters, and a manual gearbox. And then the competition specs, which tend to be the ones we get in Australia, M5 competition, competition variants of the various SUVs. That'll be three seventy five kilowatts and automatic only, I believe. Yeah. Um, but what's weird is that I mean, I remember that conversation we had with Marcus a couple of years ago, Andy, that he was sort of you know battling around, batting around the idea that. He couldn't do rear wheel drive if he wanted to. Well, they're all going to be rear wheel drive initially, apparently, and the all wheel drive will come later um, in the competition, at least. So, I, I don't know. I suspect that, given it's down the track, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But maybe, especially to go up against the Audi RS Four, that they'll plonker uh, automatically. Yeah. and they. But I think a manual would certainly be a point of differentiation.
0: I'm worried that. <laughs> and I know the way BMW works with its kind of positioning of, of premium and pure vehicles. So we've had the M2 and the M3 pure before. Um, I'm worried that an M3 touring or wagon will be at the premium end because they'll kind of package it up like a luxury sort of, you know, tourer mm-hmm. kind of thing. And and if that's the case, then you'll, you'll get higher spec. Um, uh, you probably won't get the manual. You'll get, you know, lots of extras that you might not. So I can't see, but can you imagine if they did a, an, an m3 touring pure i mean yeah. that couldn't be much more suit, well suited to us
1: although another question is that bmw manuals i don't know don't tend to be amazing i mean i haven't in most in most of the bmw m stuff i'd prefer a uh preferred preferred the dual clutch and certainly would prefer an auto um i just don't really like their manuals very much but
2: there you go. Maybe they're in, maybe be, this one will yeah. be an 8 eight-speed torque converter auto the yeah. auto in this car, won't it? So that's that's going to be a cool thing. And um, I'm glad they're doing no, both, Audi, both.
1: How I'm do you wheel drive? Yeah,
2: Audi have had it on you know on their own terms in terms of that sub niche of four-wheel drive, really hot wagons for so long. So mm. for BMW to give them a bloody nose and to offer the option in some markets of a manual, it I think it's so cool. There's um,
1: there's something something slightly awkward in that if you do want a three series wagon with all wheel drive and lots of power and an S58 engine, you can actually go and buy one right now with an Alpina badge on it. So (laughs) Alpina has rather beaten them to the punch by two years because I don't know why BMW gave them access to that engine, but they clearly thought it was a good idea for some reason. So.
0: Maybe they were using it to test the water. I mean, yeah, I don't maybe. know how well the, the Alpena um, B3 byto Touring is doing in other parts of the world, but certainly um, the one that we got briefly in Australia for a while was utterly sensational and, mm-hmm. and it did feel every bit like the M3 Touring I was hoping it would. So let's go back and just trace the history of the M3 for just shortly, um, because or briefly rather, because... If you were trying to predict BMW's point to step in with an M3 wagon, you would have failed miserably because the first the E30 was available as a coupe and a convertible only. Then E36 was first sedan M3 they did and a coupe and a coupe and a convertible. Then for the E46, they did they went only back to coupe and convertible. And then for the E90, they did sedan, coupe, convertible. So they've jumped around all over the place. They have. And and, and now they've so you couldn't you couldn't sort of put them all on a graph or some kind of chart and go oh that's when they're always going to do it because they've added variants. Each successor to the M3 they've kind of put one in or taken something out and and I would love to get into their skulls and work out what the logic behind it is. Sure, is it just looking at the, the demand situation? Because surely it wouldn't be if that was the case. You just keep upping the number of variants or or submodels every year, wouldn't you, or every generation?
2: Actually, but they have this big. They have this big matrix there, where they can um, look at what they perceive to be the demand, and also what they perceive to be, you know, the product life cycles and the manufacturing capacity for it. So it, it all feeds into that, um, and it's 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 mind-bendingly complex. Mm. I sure oh, well, suspect,
1: actually, there may be a fifth variant that I swear I saw it confirmed somewhere that, or you know, speculated somewhere with some information that. An M4 Grand Coupe will come along. Um, oh, well, that
0: makes perfect sense, and that would be would be
1: sensible. Logical,
0: linear, yeah, trajectory of you know just adding more and giving BMW's customers many more options and choice because that's what premium car brands do. But then also you look, we just had confirmation that the next generation 5 Series Touring isn't coming to Australia. Correct. i that. Correct. Yeah. So on the one hand, they're getting rid of Tourings because we know that, well that makes sense. But on the other, they're saying actually we're going to bring an even more obscure and, and esoteric and niche version.
1: Mm. I just that's think. the sad news because it's killed the Alpina B five touring in Australia, which is very sad. because so, oh, yeah. they haven't homologated the car, so they can't bring it in. Um, so yeah,
2: tourings down I... with tourings, except up with tourings. <laughs> are you are you going to buy one over an Audi RS four if it's got that horrendous great piggy snout on it though? Well, that's the other. No, no matter how good it is. It is.
1: <laughs> I think I think I have a theory on this. That it might actually look quite good on an, on the M cars. I don't know if you saw the photos going around the internet of um, the base four series that were in a holding yard somewhere. So that when they they brought out the um, press shots, they were all the 440i. So it had you know 19s on it, a bit of extra track and stuff like that. And even then, it was I didn't hate it, but it was certainly a, it was certainly bold. But if you put like narrow track 17s on one of those four series, oh my God, does it look gobblingly <laughs> horrific. But conversely, I think if you stick massive tracks on the thing, front and rear, 20 inches in them, big brakes, it might look, you know, darken them a bit, put them in a nice gray or a map, uh, you know, a nice black. It might look okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being falsely optimistic.
0: No, I, I totally get that, and I reckon the other thing that
1: kind of helps people—we
0: need to view this huge grill very objectively. And the problem is, is that people look at it as an evolution of the kidney grill. And mm. if you look at it like that, it kind of is a bit awkward and horrid. But if that car came out like or with a, some kind of mystery Chinese brand with that snout on it, and you weren't looking at the whole line of kidney grill cars that came before it, I reckon people might be a lot more accepting of it.
1: Yeah, perhaps so. It's interesting that um, Frank Stevenson, the car designer, he did the a lot of McLarens, E fifty three X five, first Mini, uh, the first new Mini Cooper. Um, he's got a YouTube channel. It's very, very interesting. Go and check it out. But he does a sort of reaction, you know, analysis video of the Four Series Coupe, and he's not particular. <laughs> he's not particularly kind on it, uh, while being as diplomatic as he can as a professional. But um, yeah, I actually don't mind the front of it that much. It's just, yeah, I've got other issues with it. But I guess we'll see once. Um, once. But the other thing was that initially we didn't think that the M3 would get it because obviously it was a four series thing. So maybe the M4 would get it. But I think the word now is that all the M variants will have the big schnoz.
0: Well, we'll see. And as you say, uh, going up against rivals like the RS4, which just is so like undeniably handsome and lovely it's got its work cut out but hey you know maybe it brings a bit of variety to the segment maybe it will invigorate people's kind of desire for a wagon and you know choice is everything in this in this sector so perhaps it will sort of oh i'm just Maybe I'm dreaming when I see a resurgence of wagons, and suddenly wake up one morning and, and not have lost their minds. And but oh well, I did actually just recently drive Audi's um, facelifted A4 Avant, and it is such an astonishingly brilliant thing in virtually every way. Even just in base like S Line 45 TFSI, um, mm. I thought it was bloody awesome. We we're talking about a car that you know a few years ago was absolutely RS performance and now you know here's a wagon that will do it all i just don't understand if you if you're considering buying an suv you are clearly clinically insane but anyway <laughs> we must move on gentlemen um uh, from a car that we are united on and all clearly love even though we haven't driven it yet to cars that we are probably the only ones individually uh and in isolation that we love we want to talk about Andy, this is this is a great idea from you. I want to talk about those cars that inexplicably, even though before getting in them you're preparing to despise them for lots of good reasons, and then you just don't, and quite the opposite, you fall in love with. This is a great idea because we, when we talked about it before, um, we all decided we have examples of this, and I'm sure people listening have as well. Um, if you're one of those people, then let us know. Get in touch via um, all our socials. Uh, which car He's the Facebook or at which car is all the other socials. Um, but straight into it, guys. Uh, Andy, why don't you kick this one off? Um, cars that you meant to hate but couldn't.
2: Okay, um, I'm going to start this off with uh, the Toyota Corolla Sportivo. Um, it was called T-Sport in the UK. Um, and it was introduced as kind of a rival for the Honda Civic Type R. And it was probably about 60% as good as a Honda Civic Type R. <laughs> It, it, it handled dreadfully it kind of rolled and understeered and all that it was like they they put all of the budget into the engine and just thought oh we'll put a sticker on the back of it and jobs are good em. and it, it was just such fun you know it had that 141 kilowatt 1.8 vvtli engine that went into the lotus elise and it was just so extreme some of the some of the cars had a much sharper step from when the valve timing and lift system engaged on them and you you'd put 6,000 6,200 rpm and then just go berserk and it was this <laughs> completely potato shaped shopping hatch like <laughs> screaming its nuts off at 8,000 rpm I think, yeah. <laughs> think it's um, just the stupidest thing
1: I remember um you know we shouldn't maybe talk about our competitors but I remember Evo magazine had um I think about worst cars I've ever driven. And that was one of them. Apparently Toyota sent them a long term, and they sent it back after a week because no one wanted to drive it. <laughs> um, cool. I mean, kind of cool engine. And it sort of ironically found its spiritual home, I think, in the Lotus because suddenly unburdened by five, six hundred kilos, the fact that it made 10 kilowatts before yeah. six and a half thousand RPM didn't matter that much.
2: No, no, but it, it was just such a hilarious thing to drive around in the Sportiva, <laughs> just because it would do that, and nobody. Unless you paid it.
1: money for it. It's funny you should say that
2: because one of the
0: cars on my list for this exact talk topic is another Toyota Corolla, but um, not the one you're talking about. I'm, I, it was the first car I drove. Well, I didn't. I, I didn't own it; it was lent to me when I first arrived in Australia many, many years ago, uh, and it was the E90 Corolla Seeker oh Ooh. so the one with that weird boot on it and sort of strange lines at the back oh yes um but i loved it for exactly the same reasons you just said andy it was it was like the best way i can describe it it's like they used the car as a mule to test the engine so they hadn't done anything with the suspension or brakes or steering and it was all horrid apart from when you got to the engine and then it was like why have they put this glorious Twin cams, what sixteen hundred cc fuel injected engine in this terrible car, but, it, but somehow it made it totally lovable. You get in it, and you could rev its tits off everywhere, and it was just a glorious engine that would never miss a beat, obviously because it was a Toyota. But it was
1: like they left it in the mule that they were testing just <laughs> to engine. I'll continue on that weird hatch theme then. Um, I've got, a, I've always got a soft spot for the Abarth, you know, five hundred. A bar 695, and you're talking about like you know, the driving position is all sorts of wrong, the ride sucks, doesn't really handle properly. It handles okay because it's got big tyres on it relative to its size. But every time I drive one, you just turn into some like either a rally driver or an Italian taxi driver. You just
2: you, blah, 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 blah. you, you can, yeah, you can only drive that like a giant bell yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> the so, no other way. Every time you know, it's one of those cars like objectively, our job is. You know, you, you drive it and you review it and our job is to say what it's like. Um, and if inevitably, it's not that good a result. But equally, every time we've got one, you're right. You just stick it in sport mode, axle tramp off every set of lights because you just feel like you need to drive it in a special state. And because it's not that fast, um, you're not actually going that quickly. But it, it's also one of those cars, I think the sillier it is, almost the better it is when actually went on the launch of the 695 tributo ferrari
0: yeah now that was the one i was going to mention that one was yeah. absolutely absurd wasn't it and how much was it? like 75 grand or something yeah. it was initially crazy. they were
1: only going to sell them to people that actually own ferraris but i suspect they offered them <laughs> and people politely declined so they offered to the public but again it was stupid money and the car wasn't that different but it made an m- incredible noise and it had carbon fiber and the ferrari sort of gearbox transmission layout in it as well and she just thought this car's bonkers and I love it.
0: And they did a more absurd one didn't they? They did, they did that
1: Biposto didn't they? Which had the oh, yeah never got to drive it had, had the dog box in it with no synchros.
0: Yeah. Well, the stupid mm. thing was is the dog box was an option. It was yes. already something like a million dollars and then they asked for another 30 grand if you wanted the, the sequential box. I know. Ludicrous. Okay. Absolutely silly. Okay.
2: I've, I've got another one for you. R170 Mercedes SLK AMG, um, the 32, 32 AMG, 2001. No, no, Andy, you're wrong. That was terrible. Everyone thought that was it, terrible. It was a truly dreadful thing in all aspects of ride and handling. And uh, it, I remember once uh, it trying to put the uh, roof up whilst uh, I was going backwards at about 90 miles an hour on a track. Yeah, there was a lot that was slightly suboptimal about that car. But <laughs> it, it had just the most extravagantly berserk engine in it. Like it I was thinking at it. the time, yeah, 260 kilowatts, 450 newton metres, which, you know, in 2001 was pretty serious. It mm. trounced the, like, the Z3M Roadster. That was only, what, 350... Newton meters and 236 kilowatts, I think. Mm-hmm. With, uh, yeah, but it needed all that engine because it weighed about 75 tons, didn't it? I didn't. It didn't. It was 30, 1395 kilos. Right? What? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, you must have took, driven the one without all the ballast in it. It took until yeah. 2012 to, to arrive, like 11 years later, to arrive at an SLK with a better power-to-weight ratio than the SLK 32. And so I'll, it was just
1: I've never driven but I must say, I quite like the look of them too. They look they are a sharp-looking car.
2: They're tiny as well. Mm. They are really small. Sort of small. slab
1: it's back end. It kind of—it kind of worked. In thirty-two guys, yeah. anyway.
2: It you might be shorter than the Fiesta. Wow. They are very, t- very tiny cars, and uh, yeah, oh, all that engine. In. Okay, another one from me
0: then. Um, oh, God, I don't even know what I should tell you. <laughs>
1: Oh, I suppose we're E.T. Cruiser. Nissan Micra CC. I love it.
0: <laughs> um, worse than both of those. Proton Ooh. Suprema S. I don't
1: even know what that is. I'm sorry, everyone.
0: It's a Malaysian sub, sub eco- economy, terrible hatchback with one redeeming feature, uh, and I know everyone laughs when you say this, but it had Lotus tuned suspension. Tune suspension! Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Sadly, no. but,
1: sadly, the Lotus they benchmarked it on was a 1971 Elite or something.
0: <laughs> no, it's not Lotus copied suspension, Scott. It's Lotus tuned <laughs> suspension. Right, so, and no, okay, that's, sli- that's somewhat of a lie. It wasn't actually the suspension in isolation that I thought was so good about this car. What I like about it, And it's kind of what makes it bad is at the time it was kind of it felt like the oldest car you could buy as a new car, which I know sounds terrible. And it is if you're trying to sell a new car to people who want a new car. But what it gave me was the opportunity to remember what old cars felt like, you know, heavier steering, sort of something mechanical about the way everything worked you know, some bits about its turbo engine that felt a bit like the old school turbo engines with a bit of turbo whistle and a bit of lag. And it was kind of, was kind of nice to drive something new that felt a bit like the reasons we drive old cars still and go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. my old 98 BMW is lovely to drive because it feels a bit old. Well, here's a brand new car that felt a bit old already. So, and
1: I kind so, of like that about it. So basically every other manufacturer, dealer should buy one of those and have it on the lot for customers to test drive before they test drive the car that they're actually going to sell. Your, your
0: plan and your theory is almost infallible if it weren't for one small point, And that is you, you can't buy one anymore because they were so bad <laughs> <and> on board. <laughs> <laughs> Proton doesn't exist in Australia anymore. The other thing yeah, is Proton.
1: just that Lotus tuned suspension. Like I get it. And you know, Lotus do a good job and that's why they get Lotus tuned suspension. But it's a bit like, like if Eric Clapton tuned my guitar, I <laughs> mean you know, I can suddenly play like Eric Clapton. Like just because Lotus <laughs> tuned it doesn't mean it handles like a lotus.
2: No, uh, uh, I, I remember turning up at Hethel um once to, to drive something or other. And uh the the chassis tuning boys were sitting there looking a bit down in the mouth and i uh, I said to him, What what have you been doing? and uh one of them sort of looked up at me and said, oh, I've got to drive that piece of crap around. And it was like the, the pickup, the Jumbart. The Jumbart, the Jumbart. The Dumbart, dumb, uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and I, I remember today, one of them said to me, uh, they, they had the, uh, the Lotus Europa, which was the Proton sports car that, that, that Proton backed out of and said to Lotus, here you go, have this. And they weren't selling them. So they decide, Proton had decided in all their wisdom, that they were going to completely slather the interior in like pale brown leather to to increase its uh, showroom appeal. And uh, one wow. of the guys just sat at me, yeah, and he said, if "They think turning that thing into a bloody satchel is going to sell it. It's not." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, weirdly, I was looking at Proton Jumbucks uh, yesterday on car sales, and they're um, worth qu- <laughs> well, people are asking a lot of money for them. Like. You know, yeah, really. yeah, totally. So, six, seven, um, eight thousand dollars. Good lord, yes, yes, with a and, lot
0: of
2: K's.
0: It's, like, it's like some of us didn't see this coming or something. Yeah, um, Andy, you ran a really good story with wheels recently, which was our favorite, um, utes, and you put it out to all the various journals and said, What was your favorite you? And anyway, I got um, a little bit disgruntled, as I frequently do, because Telf took the, um, Subaru Brumby. Uh, before I had a chance to take it which of course is against the rules because I own one and he doesn't but then my next choice was the Jumbug and everyone laughed at me and I'm like no like genuinely that car has a lot of appeal and it's not its safety standards I'll tell you that
1: no it. front wheel drive isn't it
0: yes so you know obviously nowhere near as good as the the Brumby but still um, something to like about it
1: so my my next car is like this is you know this is kind of crap cars we love this isn't a crap car it's quite a good car but it's a jaguar f-type r the original one and Ooh. it's not a crap car it's quite a good car but it's a car that's sort of inferior objectively in every way to a 911 you know like a 911 runs a ring, run, rings around it in steering precision and ride quality and performance really but i absolutely loved that car i loved how i love that it had a sense of humor it would oversteer everywhere you would it would oversteer in your garage um it had too much power i'm always so sad that they i'm sad that they turned it a more all-wheel drive in australia i'm sad we don't get the new lower powered rear wheel drive f type in australia because that would be a wicked car um always drove it and you know again in a comparison it would lose to a 911 in every every single day of the week yet if i showed up with my own money i think i'd buy one because i just Loved it. I love the way it looks, love the way it sounded and it handled like it was drunk.
2: (laughs) Right. talk about handling like it's drunk. My final pick is uh, another terrible dunger along the lines of yours. (laughs) Um, It's the Hyundai XG30 or Grandeur as it was called here from uh, 1999, 2005. Are you out of your mind? How is there anything, any redeemable feature about that car whatsoever? There aren't any. Um, no, oh. it's, uh, it's, you know, it, it would just understeer it and drop the hat. You could understeer it in your garage. Um, <laughs> no, it, it was genuinely terrible. It had all this like plastic, um, that was done up in Chrome and it had leather seats that were either plastic or like leather was about a micron thick. Um, and it was, it was trying really, really hard and it, the handling on it was so inept that you could reach the limits of handling, uh, just. You could bet you could get out and walk, basically, and not <laughs> do to any harm. But uh, that was—I think—that was the appeal for me. That it, it was so terrible that you felt that you were driving it like something out of *The French Connection*, at entirely <laughs> legal speeds in town. Like you'd come around the corner and it would screech, and its hubcaps would fall off, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And it was, yeah, it was just very, very exciting for all the wrong reasons. But you know, excitement is excitement, and I'm—I'm going to take it wherever I can get it. Mm-hmm. will well,
0: we'll have to be yeah it's actually that's a good an important point that car actually in Hyundai's ice history because it was possibly the low point you know whenever we yeah. talk about you know, how, <laughs> where that company has come from you can point directly at that car and say that was the bottom of the curve now we're we're doing a lot better um my final one is uh two generations ago ford transit I know we don't talk about commercials really very often on Which Car Weekly, but I want to because that car was owned by um, a friend of mine who had a company and for a short while I drove vans for him um, as a winter job. And because he was a bit of a petrol head, what he did was he bought the version you could get. He bought the biggest, most powerful engine, which had like the red badge, but then he coupled it with the smallest possible body you could have. So it was totally, it was a sports van. It was like a real drive. Like two, I think they had like a two and a half litre turbo diesel in them, which made quite a lot of torque um weighed nothing and so you took that thing out unladen and it was it was properly like it was
2: genuine <laughs> oh, was that the generation where they did the front wheel drive and the rear wheel drive yes yes exactly oh, yeah. oh, God. I, went, I, I got s- sent on the press launch it's the only, only commercial vehicle i think uh, uh, apart from a little mercedes sedan. but i went on this thing and, and the ford engineers were amazing they got a front wheel drive one and like in front of our eyes they converted it to rear wheel drive <laughs> It took them about ten or fifteen minutes, and they're all there like a pit crew. Like, this, yeah, this massively like practiced operation. Down it came off the jacks and down the uh, front uh, drive of this hotel, this five star hotel. We're all stood there around the floors, and they mowed down a dog. Oh, <laughs> that's no good. It's terrible. <laughs> but you know, you know when it's like, oh god. What I oh, I don't go. Go. Is
1: if they had to engineer it to be rear wheel drive, why didn't they make them all rear wheel drive?
2: I think the, the heavier duty ones a rear wheel drive and the, the oh, yeah, lighter yeah, payload yeah. ones were cheaper front wheel drive things. Clearly
0: they were making them for a driver enthusiast market, yes, which absolutely. they properly identified in my mate with is, is um, well, I'll f-
2: clean.
1: I'll, I'll finish this off by saying actually my car, and I think we all love our own cars, but you know, I, I get my, <laughs> my Skyline doesn't really, you know, it doesn't handle, it's got a live axle, very simple rear end on it. It's not that fast, um, you know. It's not that necessarily exciting to drive, but I just love its attributes. Over 10 years or whatever, I've got used to its little foibles and how you drive it. And I'm sure yours are you're the same. Then, like you don't pretend your car's an M3, but it's. You know how to drive it, and it's very enjoyable. Yeah, no,
0: it's not an M3, it's better. It's the one that we're it's talking up. about, you know, the M3 Touring they didn't make. Well, this is the one they didn't make, obviously. Wow. You know, So anyone would drive my car and agree it is one of the greatest cars ever made. No questions.
1: Fantastic. Very good. Well done driving the price up there. What? No one's
2: going to no say that about mine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, excellent, excellent points, well made, gentlemen. Um, thank you very much again for joining us uh, in these strange circumstances. Um, please do get in touch with us via whichcar.com.au. Uh, drop us a line, buy a mag, do any of these things. But whatever you do, please do take care on the roads. If you're fortunate enough to live in a state, we are able to keep driving because in Victoria we're not. Think of us. And but
1: before you go, before we go, planning for next week. I want you guys to think of what cars would be on the Australian car, Mount Rushmore. So we've got four spots, four spots on the mountain of the most important Australian cars ever. We'll do this for other countries too, but let's start with Australia, because we're in Australia. So spend the week thinking about which cars oh, would God. be on the Australian car, Mount Rushmore.
2: And it cannot okay. be four AU Falcons.
1: <laughs> no, that can be four <laughs> different
2: cars.
0: That's a brilliant one. Thank you. All right. Until next week, when we will reveal the answer to this difficult question. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.